1: Today, we are speaking with Joe Mealy. Joe is the TNR Project Coordinator for Broken Promises Southwest, a nonprofit organization that addresses community cat overpopulation in Las Cruces, New Mexico, and the surrounding county. Joe has been involved with TNR for nearly 20 years, getting his start with the Animal Protection League of New Jersey, and continuing his efforts after moving to New Mexico in 2008. He has been a speaker at numerous conferences across the country on topics such as TNR, successfully campaigning against recreational hunting and trapping, nonviolent civil disobedience to further animal rights, and Italian vegan cooking. Joe has hosted dozens of free intro to TNR seminars, teaching scores of people how to address free roaming cat issues in their neighborhood. In addition to speaking and educational outreach, Joe is hands on in southern New Mexico and has TNR'd over a thousand. That's 1,000 community cats since 2014. He credits the cats themselves for being his inspiration and his greatest teachers. Joe, I'd like to welcome you to the show.
0: Thanks, Stacey. I'm glad to be here.
1: So 1,000 cats since 2014 and 2017 just started. So if I'm doing my Mm -hmm. math, that's well over 300 to 400 or even maybe more cats a year. (laughs)
0: Yeah, we've done quite a bit in a short amount of time.
1: So that's absolutely tremendous. Big, big numbers there. I feel like we need to give you a baseball hat or a football helmet or something, and we, we put all those <laughs> stickers on your on your helmet there.
0: <laughs> Thanks.
1: So anyway, now, Joe, how did you first get started helping community cats?
0: Back in the late 1990s, I guess it was, maybe mid-90s, uh, I was living in New Jersey at the time and working in a building that had a bunch of cats living outside on the property. So many of them were sick with URIs and just didn't look very well and, and ringworm. And, and you know the, the story when you see unhealthy-looking cats. And every so often, I'd find one dead on the side of the road after having been hit by a car. And and it just got to the point where, you know, after a couple of weeks of seeing this, I knew there was something I needed to do. I didn't quite know what it was, but I knew I just couldn't leave the cats there to in such ill health and and not wanting to leave them that way I had to look for options I wanted to help them live I didn't want to help them die so calling animal control wasn't going to be an option for me and I found a way to TNR I spoke to a bunch of people and about 20 years later I'm still helping community cats
1: You refresh my memory on a story where back in the 90s, I went and took a look at a location that behind a bar, they'd said, oh yeah, we've got a few cats back here. You you should come check it out. And I went back there and it was the dumpster with broken beer bottles all over the place and all of these kittens climbing Mm -hmm. in and out of the dumpster. Adult cats were sort of hanging off in the woods and everything. And all I could do is just say to myself like, oh no, 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 we're not doing this ever again. (laughs) Like, you know, (laughs) this just does not look right at all. (laughs) And we got to fix this as well as fixing there are other situations that look like this, too. And I just I just in my head, I was just like, this just is not making any sense to me. So when you were in New Jersey, you did community cat efforts before you moved to New Mexico. Is that true?
0: Yes, I did. Uh, That first colony I worked on on the back of the building where I worked turned out to be 44 cats and kittens. After I spayed and neutered everybody and found homes for the stray and friendly adults and, and the socializable kittens, we got it down to about 18 no-nonsense ferals or so. And I love those cats. I took care of them every day, twice a day, through horrible weather, through wonderful weather. You know, when there were horrible snowstorms in a state of emergency, where only emergency vehicles were allowed on the road, you'd see ambulances fire department and me. You know, I wasn't going to let anything get in the way of me feeding my cats because that was an emergency. They needed to eat. I did that for a while and I wanted to teach other people how to do the same thing because without I'm only one person. I can't go around the whole state trapping and neutering every cat that I found. So, I worked with an organization called the Animal Protection League of New Jersey which was formerly called the New Jersey Animal Rights Alliance, and we put together a, a little feral cat division where we would go around to different municipalities and give intro to TNR classes, and we would try to write up little model ordinances for towns that weren't TNR friendly, and we were fairly successful. We, we got about a dozen towns on board while I was working over there in New Jersey, and uh, Hopefully, we've got a lot of people working on cats through those efforts, and New Jersey has become a a better place for cats because of it, I think.
1: And then you moved to New Mexico around 2008, 2009, 2010, and you started a new effort there. What were the differences between New Jersey for community cats and New Mexico for community cats at that point in time? And are you seeing differences in New Mexico now from back in 2010.
0: Yeah, the difference between southern New Mexico and northeastern suburban New Jersey were like night and day. (laughs) Uh, When I moved here, it's, it's a very poor area. The neglect is terrible, to be honest. Apathy is more common. You see people just saying, oh, it is what it is. Let nature take its course. Whereas in New Jersey, there were a lot more people who wanted to help. It's not been much of an effort to find colonies to take care of and and neuter. And then we've seen over the past few years, Las Cruces itself has become a little more feral cat friendly. Like in so many other places, the traditional way that animal control dealt with cats down here when I moved here was just trap and kill. Somebody would call, they would say, hey, there's a bunch of cats living here. Animal control would show up with a bunch of traps. They'd kill a bunch of them and the vacuum effect would take Mm -hmm. over. The remaining ones would repopulate. and, And in six months later, you've had just as many cats there. And the city couldn't figure out that their approach was the wrong thing. So with a bunch of other really fantastic feral cat advocates who were in this town who You know, we're kind of working independently of each other without much of a coalition behind them. We were able to put in a slightly more positive feral cat ordinance. TNR is legal now, although there's a lot of bureaucratic red tape that you have to go through in order to do it legally. We're still addressing that. We want to make that simpler. But today, things for cats in Las Cruces are a little better than they were nine years ago when I first moved here. But there's still a long way to go.
1: Do you happen to know what the population size is of Las Cruces?
0: In the city proper, there's about 95,000 people. The surrounding county, including the city, has about 200,000 people. We're kind of isolated. The nearest city is El Paso, which is an hour away. The nearest city in any other direction is Albuquerque, which is about three hours away. In between there, there's really not much but a couple of small little desert towns. So there's a lot of community cat issues here and and not a heck of a lot of resources to deal with them.
1: So if I were thinking of this as a a targeted area for spay-neuter and just doing my sort of back of the napkin calculation, we're looking at over 6,000 just in the city proper, 6,000 feral cats, or your estimate's higher than that?
0: Oh, we're talking, there's a lot more than that. We've done, like I mentioned, we've done a thousand uh, in the past few years. And there's no shortage of phone calls coming into me saying, hey, you know, I've got 10, 12, 14 cats to take care of. And when people tell you that they have 14, that really means they have 20. Mm. I would say a decent estimate for the number of feral cats in in the city proper is probably closer to about 25,000.
1: Wow. And are there others in the city that are helping with TNR, or are you the only game in town?
0: I'm much of the game in town. Uh, (laughs) There's a fantastic colleague of mine, her name is Michelle Correa, and she runs a program called F Camp, which is focused on the University of um, New Mexico State University. And she has TNR'd nearly every cat living on campus, which is a remarkable project that she's taking care of because as we know college campuses are notorious dumping grounds Mm. kids take them in have them live in the dorm room they go home for the summer and out goes the cat and that's where the problems start michelle has made a humongous change in the lives of cats on in new mexico state university she also does a little bit here and there around town when she can but but the university is her main focus broken promises southwest the group i'm with We are the primary resource for community cats for the rest of the city.
1: Ever feel like you are overwhelmed by all the paperwork for your community cats? On Thursday, February 23rd at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, we are holding a webinar about CatStats, a free database tool that will help keeping track of your colonies easy to do. To sign up, check out communitycatspodcast.com or email stacy, S-T-A-C-Y, at (coughs) communitycatspodcast.com. Are you swamped with miscellaneous papers and notebooks with details about the cats in your colonies? It's hard to keep track of all the details. Do you get a headache whenever your TNR coordinator asks you for paperwork that they need for their program? CatStats is the ultimate TNR program management tool that will reduce your stress. Set up your own online cat colony database and track colonies and caretakers in your service area. Mapping and automated requests for help are also featured. Designed by neighborhood cats, CatStats is available at no cost to animal welfare organizations. CatStats has an easy-to-use interface, and all of the information is protected and private. We want to help you spend less time on paperwork and more time helping cats. Check out this free tool at catstats.org, C-A-T-S-T-A-T-S dot O-R-G. Brought to you by Neighborhood Cats. Do you have enough spay-neuter capacity? I mean, do you have low-cost spay-neuter clinic that can handle significant volume? Obviously, the city needs at least one or a lot of spay-neuter capacity, I would think, to be able to get those numbers done.
0: Certainly. The local animal shelter, the municipal county animal shelter, has become over the past couple of years feral cat friendly because they see their intake numbers are through the roof and they understand that that's a way to reduce those intake numbers. They do low cost spay neuter for us at $50. And what that $50 gets us is the surgery, the vaccines. We do the FVRCP and rabies. We do an ear tip and a microchip. Mm -hmm. And that's the best deal you're going to find anywhere around here. Every once in a while, there's a free clinic hosted by the Humane Society of Southern New Mexico and we try to take advantage of that too. We don't try to overwhelm them because there are members of the community who also need those services. So it's it's not like I wanna show up there with 30 cats, you know, and, yeah. and, and yep. get them all done for free. But we use the shelter most often. We have a couple of veterinarians in town who will give us a nice discount off their services. At this point, the best deal for us on a regular basis is the animal shelter of $50 a piece.
1: As a nonprofit, I always have to ask this question. How do you raise the money to pay for these surgeries?
0: We have a nice little mailing list with some very generous donors who help us take care of that. The people we TNR for often make a donation. It's it's not often that they're able to cover all the, the expenses of us doing the surgeries for them, but they do contribute. Most people do a little bit here and there we do facebook appeals we do direct mailings we do little outreach event tables we have some local businesses in town that run little projects for us every now and then to raise some money and we have one very generous donor who helps us out when we're really in a bind so we're able to cover our nut as so uh, so to speak but money is always an issue and we could always do more cats if we had more money you know that's really the one thing that holds us back
1: Getting those donations and building up fundraising capacity is really important for any organization, and especially the small ones. And and I'm
0: not much of a fundraiser. You know, I'm a trapper. Yep. I'm a socializer. <laughs> I'm, you know, it's, it's I handle all the administrative tasks also for the organization. So I'm, I'm good with numbers. I'm good with traps. I am not good with asking for money like a lot of us are, and, and yeah. I kind of fall into that place. Yeah.
1: You prefer to stay in the trappers and tiny tiger category. that's it. (laughs) Do you have, speaking about tiny tigers though, do you have good adoption partners that you work with, with the cats that you do feel need to be put up for adoption?
0: We work with the Humane Society of Southern New Mexico and they are our primary resource for adoptions. We also work with another group called Action Programs for Animals and they're probably the highest volume adoption group in the area so they're able to take some adoptable kittens from us every once in a while. But we always feel that trap, neuter, adopt is not the way to address overpopulation. That, again, creates the vacuum effect if If a feeder is not feeding on a schedule and and feeding in the proper manner. So unless somebody is super friendly and really shouldn't be outside at all, we do encourage people to keep the cats outside, care for them, provide food, water, shelter because a tight knit colony is going to keep others out of the area and that's really how you're going to address the the overpopulation issue you're not going to be able to adopt your way out of it
1: the one thing that happened with us in Massachusetts our colony got stabilized or you know we hit 100% sterilization we started out with 300 cats and ended up after about 15 years the last cat passed away and we did not we did not necessarily have a vacuum effect because we had also been Developing sort of rings around that central area of aggressive spay neuter all the way through there. But you really have to get the, be really intense about your targeted area and have to always strive for 100% sterilization or else you are going to have a vacuum effect. It's going to catch up to you at some point in time. There's going to be a source if you're not starting with the target area and then growing out centrally from that central area and building out from there and that's something that we did a lot in Massachusetts so at this point in time shelters are really low on cats and kittens are kind of a rarity and that kind of thing so they're doing we're now dealing with importing from other states cats and kittens which is kind of an interesting strange question that you probably can't even think about from from New Mexico at this point in time But it's an interesting quandary of the different levels of where we're at at different parts of the country. I didn't know if you had any thoughts, since you've been in the business for 20 years, where you see things going for community cats over the next five or 10 years.
0: It's interesting. As, As quickly as the community cat movement is growing, we're also seeing the opposition to the community cat movement growing. There are the bird groups that can't seem to get past the idea that cats kill birds. It's like they've got this tunnel vision on, you know, cats kill birds, keep them all inside or kill them. That's the predominant thinking of a lot of these people that read nothing but bird literature. And I try to talk to those people, too, as much as I can. I've offered my help in bringing presentations to the local Audubon People and they don't want to take me up on it. They, they they consider me an enemy to birds, which is kind of funny because Broken Promises Southwest also runs a sanctuary for injured birds. We have over a hundred injured pigeons and doves who can't be released. And we have some we have a turkey, we have a bunch of chickens. So we're very bird-friendly. And we figure the way to the best way to protect birds is to lower the the feral cat population. And obviously not to keep developing in their habitat not to keep eating them. It's always funny that people that want to protect birds are the first people to have a chicken dinner at night. I try to to talk to them about that too. It's just like, hey, you know, I, I appreciate your your passion, your love for these birds, but you're eating them. <laughs> right. So you can't blame a cat for doing the same. Right. There are things that we really need to keep a lookout for. So yeah, there are always people that are going to help community cats and the community cat movement is, is gaining steam. And I'm so happy to see that people understand now what a feral cat is. Whereas 15 years ago, they had no idea what the word feral meant. Mm -hmm. You always have to remember that there are those out there that have their blinders on and they don't want to learn how you, how you work with those people is almost as important as how you work with the cats themselves.
1: Right. And there's a lot of patients involved in working with them and always trying to make sure, even if they're not actively participating, that there's always some sort of a slight door opening there for them to be able to participate. I've dealt with a a lot of Bird species issues, particularly around the piping plover in New England, Mm. we've luckily been able to work well with organizations concerned about the plover, you know, nesting on our the beaches in the community that we were at, and and that kind of thing. When we were sitting around the table, the one thing that we are in agreement is that spay neuter, aggressive spay neuter, is going to reduce your population size. So the more cats that you can get out there, and you can get spaying and neutering, and the more people that you can have out there on the streets monitoring the colonies and monitoring the cats and of evaluating the better success you're going to have if you alienate the cat groups with the birding organizations, then, then no one's going to have a winning solution out there because trap and remove is very resource intensive. And once it happens six months later, it's just going to be a mess again. And then you've lost the cat community support. And so it's just going to get uglier and uglier. And so it, it, luckily for us, it's worked out OK. But I do think that there's just a lot of communication that has to go on all around the country. So it is a challenge. It's a big challenge. But I guess I would just say, let's create a big sandbox and throw us all in it. And hopefully we won't mm-hmm. throw too much sand at each other.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm a big fan of communication. We're not going to agree on everything. We know that. So let's find the common ground. Let's find our agreement points. And like you mentioned, we all agree we want fewer cats out there. There would be nothing I would enjoy more than putting myself out of business. And there being be no more free-roaming adoptable community cats. I I mean, you know, some cat advocates that might raise a few hairs on their heads hearing me say that, but cats are are supposed to be our companions. They're supposed to be our loved indoor companions. And let's face it, even the best feral cats, the best cared for feral cats outside, they got to deal with the cold. They got to deal with the rain. They got to deal with this and that, and it's not always the safest place for them. I would love to humanely spay and neuter everybody in the area Mm -hmm. uh, to the point where there are none, and the only cats around are loved indoor house cats. Yeah,
1: and it's an attainable goal. It really it is. It's it's what we are faced with in most of uh, Massachusetts and most of New England. We do have pockets where there's areas where there's free roaming cats and we still are actively doing TNR but it is not like it was 15 years ago at all.
0: Congratulations. And that's terrific. I
1: I know. I know, but then we are dealing with some very difficult conversations now as organizations. How do you source kittens? You have people calling wanting kittens and and they're not getting them in the shelters because we don't have enough And so they're being brought up from other parts of the country, but then also people are getting them at the pet shops or at Mm -hmm. on Craigslist, and they're getting them sourced, not spayed and neutered already. So now we're getting into a little bit of an uptick of sort of the oops litters from people who get their cats, their kittens on Craigslist, and then they're getting pregnant by accident. And so we're having to deal with some very different and strange, just a. Some issues that we hadn't thought about because we were so focused on let's just get everybody done, let's just get everybody done, and and now we're right. we're entering into some other other questions. All good stuff. I'm not I'm not complaining because it's a lot oh, of a, a lot mean, better than it's dealing it's with terrific. 300 cats on the waterfront freezing with two feet of snow in February. Um, You're not kidding. <laughs> We're the- at
0: the place right now where our adoption groups and our municipal shelter, we are sending cats to Colorado and to Oregon on these large transports. Yep. And because they have these really aggressive spay-neuter campaigns and they're, they don't have the kitten, they don't have the, they're unable to meet the demand for kittens that People have, so yep. we get them fixed. We send them out, and, and we don't really know what happens to them when they leave our hands. But we know what happens to them if they stay here.
1: Yeah, and that's yep. what we're
0: trying to avoid.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. Joe, if there are people interested in finding out more about you and about Broken Promises, how would they do that?
0: Our primary method for public outreach is our Facebook page. So you can uh, go into your little Facebook search box and put in "Broken Promises SW." for Southwest. And we should come up. We have a little picture of a a tortie in our main picture with like this really interesting little yellow spot on her nose. So you'll know that's us. The direct URL is facebook.com slash help kitten Arthur, because Arthur was a kitten that kind of gave birth to the whole uh, broken promises thing in New Mexico. Uh, We rescued a, a little abused Kitten, he had his hips shattered and his bro- his back legs were broken, and he had to have some pretty extensive surgery. And we started this little campaign to raise money for him, and our our nonprofit grew from that. So <laughs> we thanked him by uh, naming our our Facebook page after him. Our email address is brokenpromisessw at comcast.net. And our phone number is 575-680-1955. And right now, hands-on, we're only able to address issues in uh, Las Cruces, New Mexico and the surrounding county. But we are more than happy to help answer questions or give suggestions or, or brainstorm with anyone from anywhere, as long as they're into helping cats. Our Facebook page is really good for that, too.
1: Joe, is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners today?
0: Yeah, if you're going to feed them, please fix them. There's a lot of well-meaning people out there who, you know, understandably, they see a kitten. They put out some food. Six months later, there's five kittens. They're still putting out some food. Don't let that be you. Get that first kitten fixed. She's not friendly. Leave her outside and give her food, water, shelter, and, and love. If she is friendly, bring her in. But spend a couple of bucks, buy a trap, go on the Alley Cat Allies website, learn how to TNR, talk to people, get it done before it becomes a problem.
1: Joe, I wanna thank you so much for being a guest on the show and I hope we'll have you on in the future.
0: I would love to, Stacey. thank you for having me.
1: Do you have the perfect selfie with you and one of your cats to share with us for Valentine's Day? Submit your photos to our My Feline Valentine contest and enter to win prizes, a $50 Amazon gift card, books from New York Times bestselling author, Cheryl Richardson. Cheryl Richardson's team will be judging the selfies to determine who should win a prize. Winners will be announced on March 8th. As we get submissions, we'll also be sharing some of our best photos on our Facebook page, so keep a look out there. Check out communitycatspodcast.com to find out how to submit your selfie.